Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have Doug Farn with us from uh, sunny Florida, but it looks like uh, Doug's, it's not quite sunny right there. He's going through a little bit of a snow. Not today. Not today. <laughs> um, Doug comes, is uh, a developer with tons of experience, over 15 years private equity and real estate experience. Um, he's overseen $10 billion with a B of real estate investments and development. So Plenty of experience and stories to go over, I'm sure. Um, Doug, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. Why don't you uh, start us off and tell us how you got into real estate? Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, it's uh, it's funny. My first exposure to real estate, my freshman year in college, roommate's dad was a developer. and I didn't, you know, at that point know much about real estate development at all. I, my, my parents were lawyers. Um, but, you know, we had, you know, he we talked a bunch about it and, you know, ended up you know, later in college, building out uh, a real estate investment club um, at, at undergrad. That's it was cool. really fun. So he he was my first exposure, sort of like a taste early on. I went on to, I started my career in um, investment banking and M&A. So did some real estate, but really across all um, industries. And then worked in corporate private equity before moving back to real estate um, when I joined the CIM group back in 2012. So sort of roundabout way back into the real estate industry. Very cool. So you this uh this club that you started in college, did you guys actually close deals or are you like just getting together? No, I, I think the, uh, the the nomenclature was probably like uh, aggressive. It was more just, you know, we, we brought in speakers and, you know, advocated for sort of more real estate classes at school. Um, but it was it was a fun group and you know, interestingly, you know, a lot of the folks that that started are still in the business. So it's interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I always wish that I would have would have got started a little, little earlier than I did, um, but it's cool that you know you had that experience with your uh, your friend's dad being a developer. Um, at what point you know you were in private equity? It sounds like at what point did you start closing your own deals? Um, you know, as the GP. Sure. So you know, it's funny. I was in um, corporate private equity, and really just like on the side nights and weekends, I bought a building out of bankruptcy in 2009 sort of interesting time in like the financial crisis and that was Mm -hmm. a small personal deal but like taught me a lot just about the process and um was you know great great first outcome and i went from there to sort of tie up um a small hotel asset that i was looking at buying that actually ultimately didn't end up transacting but it was enough that i was doing it sort of nights and weekends that i decided i wanted to see if i wanted to shift my focus from you know more corporate private equity to real estate private equity and that was you know again part of the impetus that when i went to business school i focused on finding jobs in the real estate space and that's what led me over to cim nice very cool and uh um did you immediately go i mean it sounds like you didn't immediately go into development that was a ways down the way uh at what point did you start doing the actual development of properties sure so you know, it's, it's interesting. CIM is, you know, a 35 billion asset manager. So they they operate really across as an allocator, but they're also fully integrated. So they do their own development deals. And at the firm, you sort of operated as your own small team within it. So I was fortunate there to, you know, both acquire some big existing deals, work on a couple of developments that, that we did there. So 
that was sort of an interesting training ground. And that really led me to um, the ability to start this business, um, you know, with my partner, Nick, uh, about uh, two years ago. So, you know, I spent some time working on developments at CIM, but really launched Sherm Capital in earnest at uh, the end of 2021. Nice. And do you guys, what's your thesis? Do you guys um, do only single family? Do you do multifamily? What's your uh, your sure. primary development goal? So we we raise capital from a collection of family offices in a GP fund format um, with really a focus around residential. Our mandate is what we call 75% residential, 25% special situations. The idea, idea there being, you know, I have investment experience in um, hotels, office, retail, multifamily, data centers, industrial, all of it. So I didn't want to sort of turn that off if we found compelling deals. But the anchor to this business that we thought was interesting was really a residential focused strategy, which spans everything from their ground up uh, development of traditional multifamily apartment complexes, um, uh, value add uh, acquisitions of, of that, and then also alternatives. So adaptive reuse of you know office or hotel to resi, um, senior student and and a big anchor to this business really something we were excited about building a platform in is um, build to rent. So my partner Nick mm. uh, is a regional home builder owns a company called JNS Homes and you know what brought us together was sort of this thesis of if we could put together the execution portion of the construction which is works a little different than it does in traditional multifamily with a GC you could add sort of his experience as a GC to my background sort of in development and investment we could we could build a compelling platform because. There's $80 billion chasing this build-to-rent trade, and there aren't that many institutionalized developers um, doing it. So that's that's been a big anchor to what we've been doing so far. Very cool. And uh, for everybody listening, go over build-to-rent um, as, a, as a strategy. <clears throat> sure. So, I mean, single-family rental broadly is this category that um, you know gets it's tossed around, but it really can be a couple of different verticals. There's scattered single-family rentals where people are just buying homes and you know renting them in neighborhoods. We're really more focused on what we call build-to-rent, which is you know typically 100 to 300 homes in a single community, amenitized. And so think about like a garden-style apartment complex, but instead of having you know one- and two-story apartment buildings, we have either townhomes or detached homes. We tend to focus on larger unit sizes. And the idea is we want houses with garages, ideally, and backyards that give folks the advantages of living, you know, in a single family home, which in the millennial generation, which is entering, you know, sort of child household formation need, baby boomers who don't want to own their homes, want to tap into the equity, want. And so there's this big demographic shift for this product. And we're trying to add to that sort of the hospitality elements of a of a amenity center and pool and, and really give people that that accommodation they're, they're used to in the apartment building they might live in, but with the advantages of a single family home. Interesting. And uh, so I'm assuming these kind of communities, these built to rent communities, they uh, perform best in larger markets or do you, are you guys also doing this in, you know, secondary tertiary markets? You know, our, our, our geographic footprint is East coast, Southeast Sunbelt, we say, but we're really looking at sort of growth markets within the Southeast for this product. Now, you know, we like what we call infill build to rent, which is different than infill multifamily. Infill multifamily is like, you know, downtown Maine and Maine, you, you just don't have the acreage to do that with with townhomes and, and single family and main to main. But you do want to be, you know, less than a half an hour from employment centers, you know, proximate to retail. You, you want to be in these locations that are, you know, convenient places for folks to live, both from a work and, you know, sort of enjoyment, you know, retail uh, perspective. So we're focused on <clears throat> you know, Tampa, Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, Nashville, um, Savannah, Charleston. Um, Jacksonville, uh, Orlando, 
St. Pete, Naples, you know, growth markets in the Southeast where we're seeing uh, this, you know, sort of growth of population and and growth in employment. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we're actually, we're just closing an RV park out in Charlotte right now. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, that uh, that Charlotte is just blowing up uh, and we actually have family out there. So um, great market. Um, okay. And so you said 75% is the, is the residential, this build to rent, uh, um, product that you guys are trying to take to market. What is the 25% special you through data centers out there? And that's something that I, uh, I know nothing about. I've never, nobody in my circle invests in data centers. So I don't really know how it works and I'm just more out of curiosity. Um, what, where do you buy data centers? Like it, what kind of cap rate do they trade at? Just give me a little bit of uh, information sure. about investing so in that, data centers. Data centers are a, a really interesting vertical, a real growth vertical. And if you think about it, you know, at, at its core, what it is, is a, a building that, that houses servers. And, mm. you know, with the growth in all sorts of new technology, specifically, you know, obviously everyone's talking about AI right now, right? The amount of, you know, sort of data processing capacity that AI requires means you've got you know huge tailwinds in this industry. There's just there needs to be a lot of data centers built to sort of deal with all this data that's growing. So what do you need for a data center? You need you know access to fiber, you need or and ideally you know fairly stable weather because you don't want extremes, you know, the the the, the servers themselves generate a lot of heat. So mm-hmm. you're you're trying to figure out a box that you have this great access to high speed internet, but you also need all this electricity to power them both to cool the building and the power of the servers. So the power allocation usually becomes the constraint. And yeah. um, and there, there are hubs where there are a lot of it. So Northern Virginia is a big hub for data centers. But, you know, there's in, in every major market, there are some that are sort of in the main and main downtown. Like some businesses need to be like directly adjacent to their data center, like high frequency trading, for example. Mm. Uh, other times you see data centers that are sort of further out from main and main to get, you know, more land, better access to power. Um, but there's a number of growth markets for it. They they trade, you know, very tight cap rates, um, and so it, it's an interesting vertical that we're we're definitely spending time on. We haven't transacted yet, but it's something that we're we're keeping an eye to and seeing if we can find um, a, a good opportunity. It's pretty um, operationally intensive, so really? we partner with someone who sort of is an expert in it. Uh, operation intensive, just like having the right you know tenancy depending on sort of how the, the data center is structured so it's um it's something we've got an eye on but would, would want a real deal of scale with an angle to sort of get started in that vertical huh i would assume those would be triple net correct yeah but it's it's not so much the like actual operating of the data center as much as this is like tenanting it and making sure you, you have the right relationships with tenants that, that populate the data centers if you're building right. on spec or if you're, if you're building for a company, obviously, if it's a build the suit, if you've got a great site that someone wants access to, that's easy. But a lot of these are multi-tenant and sort of being in that industry can be very helpful. Huh, interesting. Um, so yeah, one thing uh, that we like to talk about here a lot is markets because you know if you invest in a bad market, it's, it's really difficult to turn that around. Um, so I always like to hear, especially people investing in areas that I'm, I'm curious about, um, what are your favorite markets and why? Uh, you've already mentioned a few. If you could just take like the top three markets that you really see a lot of potential, um, why do you see that potential? And then which ones are they? Interesting. So, I mean, the filter that we're overlaying on markets is, you know, something that people have been investing behind for a long time. It's high quality life, low cost of living, low tax, right? Like those three drivers have had population employment shifts for the last 10, 15 years even 
But, you know, COVID really sort of poured jet fuel on that migration. And you saw huge population moves into a lot of the, the markets we talked about before, the, the hot southeastern markets, the Nashville, Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, Tampa, et cetera. I think um, for us, you know, with that huge population move, while there may be some small amount of, you know, rebounding back to some of the major markets, there's enough that is sticky where we're seeing like a real shift in, you know, who is in these markets, what employment is in these markets. And as a result, we think there's a, you know, it's sort of cliche to be like, oh, we invest in the Southeast. Well, but now that you have this new anchor of people and jobs, I think the next 10 years here is going to be really interesting. You're seeing, you know, tapering in rent growth today because we had such astronomical growth and with sort of rates rising and everything else, you're seeing a height. But we still think the 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 kegger, the growth line for these markets is going to be really impressive. And if you had if you had me pick three of my favorite, I mean Tampa, we really like. Um, it's just got it's got incredible framework as a city in terms of great airlift. It's incredible high quality of life. There's a ton of waterfront there. And it's, you know, if you compare it to South Florida, it's starting at such a lower cost of living base. You've got a lot more room to run. Now it's become much more expensive in the last three, four years after COVID, but but even so, it's it's still much more expensive, inexpensive relative to um, South Florida. So you might be able to move a, a corporation from, you know, Illinois or, you know, Westchester down there, and you could have, you know, lots of good housing for all different types of employees, which I think is growth. And then you, you, you add to that, some of the investment that Cascade and Jeff Finnick are doing there, the Water Street development, which is which is truly impressive. Um, so we're very bullish there. I'd add to that. I mean, Nashville, you know, great anchors in terms of um, you know healthcare and tech, and just a great quality of life city. We're seeing a lot of population move to. It's pretty pricey from a um, you know sort of investment perspective. So again, it's always overlaying. We like this market, but how can we buy it? Um, so we, we think Nashville is really interesting at the right price. And there's some near-term supply that has to work its way through the system. But again, on a longer-term trajectory, Tampa, Nashville are, are two of the markets we like a lot. And then I, I'd add Raleigh maybe as the third. I think Raleigh um, has you know great you know sort of education centers nearby that are feeding a workforce there, that are feeding growth in technology. So we see a lot of growth in Raleigh over the next few years as well. Very cool. Yeah, the, I've uh, um, you know I always ask people that come on the podcast, which, uh, which markets they're most excited about. And they always tend to cluster in the Southeast in the areas that you talked about, Tampa, Nashville, Raleigh. Um, I had a guy talk for, he talked like 10 minutes about Jacksonville. He just loved Jacksonville. He thought it was just going to explode. Um, so it seems like the Southeast, that's, uh, that's where, where it's at when it comes to, um, investing and, and, uh, building a portfolio. Um, Awesome. So we have uh, gone through the initial 10 minutes of time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. It starts with books or any form of education. I need two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and then one for real estate specific. Okay. Um, real estate specific, You know, we're building a project in Cape Coral and there's a book called Swamp Peddlers. It's an interesting book about real estate development and specifically about Cape Coral. So for me, that's very interesting because of that project. So if I'd recommend it, well-written, very interesting. It's a, um, it's a catchy title too. Yeah, absolutely. Swamp <laughs> And then, you know, as like a general, like more general business book, I really like Barbarians at the Gate. Sort of an interesting view into, you know, real titans and, you know, the sort of corporate takeover world. And um, it, I, I think that was a very interesting book. Yeah, I've heard of that. I, uh, I haven't read it yet, but I've heard heard good things. Um, next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Doug who was, uh, you know, just 
building that uh, that real estate investing club back in uh, college years. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Sure. Um, I, I, I tell people this all the time. It's, you know, never eat. And I, I, I'd call it breakfast, lunch alone. Like I think all, all of these meal segments are a chance to, whether it's within your company, if you're a larger company, whether you're meeting other brokers or owners or people in the market, you know, the real estate world is a absolute social animal. And so get out there and build your network over, you know, breakfast, lunch, coffee all the time. And again, within your organization, it builds better relationships to get things done together, not just have transactional relationships to find new deals. It's really important. So I think you got to get out there and meet people. I love it. Um, I actually, one of the the books that I read in college, um, it was called Never Eat Alone. I think it was by Keith Ferrazzi or something like that. And the entire yeah. book was about that concept is that, uh, you know, every business, every, especially in real estate, it's built on relationships. And the easiest way to build relationships is to eat with each other. So I like that idea. Um, I think that's really good advice to give your younger self. All right, that moves us on to the next question. This is about your business. Um, it all starts, or the our, our businesses are run by the people we work with, and it all starts with the first three positions you hire. So, what were they for you, and would you do it in a different order if you did it again today? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, our our first three positions were, you know, sort of a, a VP of of investments acquisitions, uh, sort of similar like VP of development, um, and our third has been sort of our CFO controller. And I'd say, you know, the 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 path of hiring them that way made perfect sense. I mean, the first thing we needed was sort of building out that acquisition function to have deals. Then we needed a development function to sort of deal with the the, the amount of development work we had to do. Um, and then I'd say the third one, you know, the the control, the real CFO sort of finance role more came out of just, you know, we brought a gentleman named Joe Nestler, who is a, a good friend of mine and was just an excellent opportunity. He was a director at East still for a long time, investment banker, a really smart guy, and was sort of interested in joining what we were trying to build. And, you know, if you have the opportunity and you have the right role for someone that you've built that you know, 10 year relationship with him, it's really nice to be able to bring in uh, someone like that who you really trust and you can leverage. Awesome. All right. I'll use that as a segue to the next question. Uh, you already mentioned the first position you hired was uh, VP of acquisitions. Um, cause it always does start with finding the deal. It starts with that uh, getting in contact with the seller, uh, hammering it out, getting it under contract. So what is your favorite way to find good deals? Oh man, it's an interesting question. I, I think, um, it, it, it really depends on the asset class. I think for land, there's all kinds of crazy ways to find land. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it's just driving around areas you think are interesting you know, it's checking like unexpected places. Like, I mean, you know, like LoopNet, you know, may or may not be unexpected, but, you know, we found, you know, a hundred acre deals on LoopNet that are really interesting or like Zillow, like weird, like misplaced commercial ads is, is interesting. So I think you really have to be active. You know, we, we try and buy deals that are, you know, call it 50 to $200 million in total transaction size. So at that level, it's hard to find so much off market. You still mm-hmm. can in developments, mm-hmm. you can, but, you know, when you're buying those larger existing deals, you got to develop this network of brokers and owners that help direct stuff to you. But yeah, with land and some other stuff, there's there's all kinds of creative way to get in there. Yeah, it is funny uh, where deals come from. Sometimes it's just it can be completely random. I've gotten deals off of deals that we already closed. Um, you know, somebody the seller sent us deals that uh, that they knew some of their friends own property, and so they sent us more properties, and so um, yeah, comes out of comes I, out. Of I've gotten a deal places. off of a podcast before. Someone heard me speak. 
and had a piece of land that they wanted us to look at. So listen, even there you go. The great deal sources. There you go. There you go. All right. Next question is about mentors. Um, none of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So give me one mentor who has contributed to, to your su- career significantly today. Oh man. Yeah. There's been, you know, I've, I've been fortunate in sort of at, at, at each role that I was in having, you know, a great mentor along the way. Um, so, I mean, my, I'll, you know, my first, you know, my first boss in investment banking is still someone I talk to you know, pretty regularly. And he like, you know, took me under his, his wing and I was a liberal arts undergrad. I was like an econ major, but you know, get dro- got dropped in investment banking and never touched Excel. So I had a lot of learning to do very fast. And, um, you know, he was like a, you know, undergrad finance guy, had been a banker for a long time and sort of took me under his wing. Um, so, you know, his name is Paul and he's, uh, still in the business, but he's, he's been, uh, he was a great teacher early on and has been like a fun person to bounce ideas off of throughout my career. Perfect. Well, shout out to Paul. All right. That leads us to the second last question. This is about uh, lessons learned. Not every deal that we get uh, into goes the way we expected. A lot of times a wrench will be thrown into the mix there and we got to uh, figure it out and then uh, and then get it done. So what is the biggest lesson learned through a deal that kind of went sideways? You know, it's uh, perhaps like sometimes the best deal you do is the deal you didn't do. And, you know, looking back at some of the deals that I you know almost bought and at the time was super disappointed when a deal fell apart. But then like looking back, I was like, oh, man, that, that would have gone horribly had I bought that. Um, and I think, you know, look, for a lot of people, you know, the, obviously the office world has hit, you know, tremendous headwinds. So, you know, there's a lot of deals that you know, at the time we might have said, oh, those are, you know, really interesting, compelling office deals to do. But pretty glad at this point we don't have a portfolio of office deals in our our company so sometimes it's the ones you don't do absolutely yeah and uh sometimes you know stuff like that it would be really difficult to uh to predict um because who would have thought covid was going to come around so um yeah those uh those ones that you you just kind of squeaked out you gotta love uh you know uh it was on your side at that point luck was on your side all right, moves us on to the next, last question. This is for the listeners. You've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. What is the best way for them to do that? And then remind people again what you guys do and uh, and what they can expect when they reach out. Sure. Um, so we have a website, you know, shoremcapital.com. And you, know, you can email me at doug at shoremcapital.com. You know, we are a real estate investor. I primarily focus on residential in the Southeast East Coast Sunbelt. So if folks have, you know, deals, land, opportunity, you know, looking for, looking to invest. Um, we'd love to, to chat with you and see if there's ways we can work together. All right. Perfect. And uh, I will put Doug's link in the show notes. So if you guys want to reach out, um, just click a little more in the description. It'll pull down that full description and there. You can find his uh, company's link. All right, Doug, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's great. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, at therealestateinvestingclub.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask, give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. 
If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.